0: and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 19, Best Practice for Educational Transitions with Dr. Rhiannon Packer.
1: A warm welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Welcome back to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. We are joined by a guest who is um, a previous guest and a a friend of the podcast, who you will have heard if you listened to our episode in January of 2021, um, speaking about her research that Uh, she does and has done in tandem with Dr. Susan Davis on supporting quiet, shy and anxious children. Um, But we've asked her to return to us today to talk about um, a really important research topic to her um, and her work. So without further ado, talking about transition today, I would like to welcome back Dr. Rhiannon Packer. Welcome back, Rhiannon.
2: Thank you, Emma and Tom. Lovely to be here.
1: And um, it seems that January was quite a significant month for you because obviously you featured on our podcast, (laughs) first and foremost. uh,
2: Yeah, (laughs) at first, yes, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) It was great to have you. But um, more importantly, am I right in saying that this was your first book publication in January?
2: Yes, first whole book publication with um, a number of former colleagues from University of South Wales and the book was published uh, I think 14th of January this year Um, so we were really excited about that.
1: Well, congratulations, and it's actually what that book deals with, which is entitled "All Change!" exclamation mark Best practice for educational transitions, and um, just to kind of steal from a bit of the blurb, it says it examines transitions within education, between year groups, key stages, and schools, and how they can be managed and supported for the maximum benefit of the pupil. So. I think first things first, just to remind our listeners, if they haven't listened to that episode back in January, could you just tell us about um, what you do, uh, what your role is at Cardiff Met? Because you're a colleague here. So what's your role here?
2: I'm a senior lecturer in additional learning needs and I teach on um, both the undergraduate and master's programmes at Cardiff Met. So I teach on a number of um, additional learning needs modules for the education, psychology and SEN programme and I'm also the pathway leader for the master's additional learning needs programme.
0: Well, we're here to talk about transition today, and I remember transition being a really hot potato at one stage, but it's almost kind of, I don't know, it's it sort of disappeared again a little bit in the consciousness while we've all got terribly excited about curriculum reform and things like that. So, let's just remind ourselves what we actually mean by transition in a, in an educational context, and particularly for anyone who's not listening in the UK, What are those key transition moments in in education where we, we really need to get things right?
2: I think transition in education is simply when a child or young person moves to the next step or stage in their educational journey. So um, initially it will begin with the transition from home to a preschool or early years setting um, and then potentially comes to an end when someone finishes their compulsory schooling. But of course there are many points in our life when we experience transition. So in terms of education the key points of transition uh, which have attracted a lot of attention by academics and researchers is that initial transition from home or preschool to formal schooling then from ages 10 to 11 so when someone moves from primary school to secondary school here in Britain And these are considered the key transition points. But as practitioners know, there are other transition steps in the learner journey between key stages um, in particular, which can have an impact upon the individual. And that's something that with the new reforms, Donaldson has been quite aware of what impact that transition can have um, and has tried to mitigate that by reducing the number of transition points during that educational journey
1: really interesting but I mean on a personal level I'd really keen to know where your research interest and interest of practice around this stemmed and which aspects you are most keen to understand more deeply what was missing from from the information and knowledge out there
2: so I think the initial interest came from um, a discussion with colleagues at um, the University of South Wales where I used to work. A group of us had already contributed to a book about teaching early years and we'd enjoyed working together and so wanted to do something else together. So we we all came together to have a chat about what we could look at and what our interests were and discussions like this are always good to have over lunch. It's good to have some food and some good coffee and tea etc. So we'd been discussing the learner journey together. Um, I think particularly uh, we were talking at that point about um, how our students transition from year um one to year two and how our expectations of them change but do we actually explain to them what those expectations are so we were talking around that and then i think we thought about transition as a as a whole and that transition journey um, and then looked at there was about four of us in the room and we discussed our own experiences of transition and also our experiences as teachers and realised that we came from a wide variety of backgrounds. So Amanda, for example, she'd worked in an earlier setting. Um, she'd also worked in FE and now was working in HE. Philippa, so Philippa Watkins, she'd worked in um, a secondary school and had um, experience at FE I think um, and then Kath Jones and I also had been working in secondary schools and HE so it, it sort of began from there really we, we were thinking about the different experiences we'd had as practitioners then as learners and then also some of us are parents and we're talking about the experiences that we had of transition in terms of being parents of children who were going through the same process. And I think what we thought, um, and when we'd done some reading around the topic area, was that um, you you don't always hear the voices of those involved in that transition process to see what they had to say about it. So um, when we looked at the research, sometimes you heard the voice of pupils around transition, sometimes you heard the voice of practitioners, but very rarely did you hear the voice of parents and you never, I don't think we've ever seen um, any research that actually brought all those voices together and I think that's what we wanted to do, to provide an opportunity for people to give voice to those experiences and then for us to draw it together to find out what that best practice is.
0: So if we kind of drill down now into the realities of transition, I suppose on the surface, you know, when you describe what it is, you know, they move from one one context to another, one key stage to another. It sounds like a really simple thing. And yet, you know, you've written extensively about transition. Uh, you know, you've got your book, you've got journal articles more accessibly, you've written on the Beezer blog, you've written in the conversation. The word that keeps coming up when you talk about it is complex. So What is it about transition that makes it such a kind of complex, knotty thing for us as education professionals to get right? And in terms of the experience as as it's seen by those young people themselves?
2: I think it's complex because it can affect an individual in many different ways so um, in a lot of the writing that I've done I compare transition to crossing a bridge um, and I've, I've taken that I can't remember from Galton and McClellan I think and they they refer to transition as crossing a bridge and you can cross a bridge in a number of different ways and there can be lots of potholes in the bridge which you can either fall into or you can circumnavigate and I think we ought to uh, look at learners in the same way so for some learners that prospect of moving upper class or moving into a new school um, or going from primary school to secondary school is a very exciting prospect and they feel well supported and are able to deal with that change very easily. A lot of us are quite resistant to change. We don't like change as a current pandemic has shown us and preparing learners for that change is also very important um, and learners need to know what's going to come how it might affect them and how they can be prepared for it. For some learners, it's not a challenge. And for others, they may need more direction and more support in order to navigate that crossing from um, one setting to the next setting. And it's also not about a changing in the environment. Transition can mean a change in personnel, new teachers, new peers, um, and also in terms of the expectations, both academic ones and social ones. And these can all have quite a profound effect upon the individual if we're not aware as practitioners of those potential issues or pitfalls. It might be
1: nice um, just to unpick this a little bit more to home in on a kind of key point of transition that you mentioned a little earlier on that um, is one that is particularly important to our student teachers on the PGC primary and secondary programmes here at Cardiff Met um, and indeed the BA primary uh, student teachers as well. And it's that transition um, where pupils are moving from primary phase to the secondary phase, which uh, for us in the UK takes place around sort of 10 or 11 years old. If we zoom in on that moment in time, can you tell us anything about what you've discovered about the way children experience or feel or perceive that very big transition? Mm.
2: Yes, our book discusses transition at a number of points in the education journey, but I would say that the transition which has the most impact on the learner is is that transition, the transition from primary school, age um, 11, to uh, secondary school. So when they're, you know, around that age, 10, 11, 12. I think it's a profound change for most learners, well, maybe all learners on, on a number of levels. So combined with that excitement is also trepidation and it's about managing both carefully and um, I think it impacts, um, firstly, socially, so they may move with some friends from their peer group or they may not. They may be going to a completely different setting. So, and there also may be um, uncertainty as whether they will be in the same friendship group when they're moved into their new classes. Um, so this can be a concern. Also emotionally, so going to secondary school is a rite of passage and it's a move from being a child to becoming a teenager and moving on to becoming an adult and that can be quite a big deal if you're not ready to accept that change. And yeah, while it's exciting, that can also be daunting. It's also demanding in terms of expectations. So, Academically, you're moving potentially from being taught mainly by one teacher in a small setting where you're in a smaller class and you know everybody quite well to having a different teacher for each subject. And you need to navigate different teaching styles, different expectations within the class, different ways of organising. You also have a responsibility to organise yourself for the school day. And there's that move from being told what to do to more independent learning. So, you're responsible for doing your homework on time, submitting your work on time, getting to class on time, etc. Also, in terms of environments, I was speaking to my daughter who's just um, moved into secondary school, talking about the impact that has had upon her. And she said it was quite daunting moving into the new secondary school because it was so huge compared to the primary school. And she was worried about getting lost on her first few days there because she didn't really know where to go. And it was yeah enormous compared to being in primary school. And also these children go from being top of the school, the oldest pupils in the class, to becoming, again, the youngest pupils and possibly the smallest. So, yeah, it's it's quite daunting on a number of levels.
0: So for our student teachers and our our kind of practicing teachers that listen to us, and we've got secondary, we've got primary, we've got people kind of at at both ends of that really important point of transition. From your kind of experience, and I guess really importantly, having listened to the voice of the learners as well, because that's really important, what would be your kind of top things that teachers in these settings can do to make that transition as kind of, I suppose, non-traumatic as possible, to smooth that transition and make it as easy as possible? Because I know that that from those of us in secondary, you know, there's always this worry about a dip, you know, while they get their heads around the transition, there's a bit of a dip. So even from that slightly mercenary point of view, I suppose, in terms of of attainment, but also in terms of well-being, um, what can we do to smooth this transition?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think we need to be aware of um, the academic dip um, and to to think about uh, what might be the reasons behind it. So, you know, as I mentioned, some of the key concerns when, you know, we were looking at best practice. So we went to a number of schools where we knew uh, transition was being done well and spoke to pupils and they all came with the same concerns, which was around making new friends, being able to cope with the work and getting lost. So they're, they those were their main concerns and I think the teacher role here is critical because they are the agents of change in that whole process so they they begin that process of 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 transition and they control how that transition is managed I mean and usually it's when we were discussing with teachers it was about working collaboratively both primary and secondary schools working collaboratively together in ensuring that that transition was a smooth one and I think after that, it's important to reflect upon the process, so to review and amend as necessary. So, for example, when I was interviewing a group of Year 7 pupils with additional learning needs about their transition process, uh, one of them had mentioned that the handbook that they'd been given about coming to the new school was really helpful, but they couldn't understand the map because the school is situated on a, um, on a number of levels and has a number of floors for the building they couldn't clearly see whether they should be on the first floor or the second floor from the map they had difficulty reading the map um, and was suggesting that maybe the school provided another map which was a maybe a more 3d map or a more visual map so that they could follow it so when I fed that back to the head of year because he was very keen to hear what well, his pupils were saying about the transition process that was something he thought then that he could build in to the handbook or to you know part of the transition events that he was organizing so I think it's really important that teachers are aware of uh, maybe the impact that transition can have on pupils and also to listen to them in order to make that transition process smoother for incoming pupils and to realise, you know, what maybe worked a few years ago might not necessarily work today. So you need to be responsive to that feedback and amend as, as necessary.
1: And I'm going to just divert a little bit from the um, pre-released questions that we gave you here, Rihanna, not to kind of throw you off. But I was really fascinated by what you said about the fact that the parent or carer voice was really sort of missing or wasn't um, positioned in relation to what the teachers and the pupils were saying. So what role did the parents and carers play in this process and how can schools work with them to make this transition point or transition more generally more um, smooth?
2: I think from the feedback we had from parents it was that in the primary school they felt very much involved with what was happening and that I think maybe because you tend to pick your children up from primary school you're on the doorstep so to speak and you you know you can just walk in um, you see the teachers at the gate and you can have a conversation with them and the concern was when their child went to secondary school that they were maybe held more at arm's length and I'm not saying that happened but I think that was a concern that they maybe didn't have um, as easy access to teach as they had had previously in the primary school and maybe that their involvement wasn't seen as important as it was perhaps in the primary school. And I think part of that is natural, that has to happen, doesn't it? Because you know, you're trying to encourage your children to become independent adults, but that letting go sometimes can be difficult. Having said that, um, from the schools that we interviewed and spoke to, they'd put a number of measures in place to reassure Parents. So, for example, one school had got um, a Twitter account that was designated for transition where they put a lot of information about the new school on the Twitter account, information for parents in particular, that was a good way then for maintaining that contact between parents and, and, and the school
0: about curriculum reform now here in Wales, I mean, one of the big headline things about the new curriculum is, is this attempt to kind of remove some of these hard milestones that we had in the past, you know, key stages, that kind of thing. A, a kind of acknowledgement that pupils are going to move at slightly different paces and that we, we should be perhaps a little bit more realistic about that. Having said that of course there's an awful lot of stuff in the melting pot at the moment there's a lot of stuff changing and um, are there opportunities here to make transition work better i suppose conversely is there a danger that transition as a priority gets lost in the noise while we're changing so many things i mean do you get a sense of how transition might look or could look or, or what the opportunities are there
2: yeah, I, I do agree with Donaldson um, in terms of limiting or minimising the number of transition points for learners, um, and maybe smoothing that journey somewhat. But equally, we need to build resilient learners who are adaptable and who can accept change. So while we, you know, it's in our nature to be resistant to change. We, we still, if we're prepared for change, we can accept it better. And I think what we need to do is to prepare our learners for change and to acknowledge what their concerns might be and to address them openly. I think, as I keep saying, we were looking at best practice. So in the schools that we were looking at, there was a lot of communication between the primary schools and the and the secondary school prior to that transition process. So for example, we saw um, maybe year five going into the secondary school for an event that wasn't about transition, but provided an opportunity for the learners to to be in that new environment um, so that that transition process is a gradual one and not a sudden one. Other examples are where there's some modelling perhaps of the new curriculum whereby there's one teacher teaching humanities rather than teaching history, RE and geography separately. So there's some continuation where the pupil sees the same teacher regularly um, and and can build maybe a better relationship with them than they might do if they, they had them for separate or different teachers for separate subjects so I think you know we have to experience change and transition because that's part of life and we need to be prepared for it but I think we ought to build that resilience in our learners by listening to them by acknowledging what they might find difficult and trying to address that so um, that we've prepared them for that change
1: so um i've got to say uh, uh, again i'm diverting from the questions here but um I, i've wondered if i might probe um your your uh, your ideas and your thought process here about something that's quite um quite becoming gaining quite a bit of momentum in wales which is the idea of a of a through school or an all ages school setting and i think there are, I, I might be completely wrong on this so people can call me out on it if they want to i think there's about 20 of them in wales and you've got primary and secondary all on the same site sometimes with sixth form as well and I just wondered what your thoughts were on that in the context of transition and if you had any sort of optimistic views on that or if there were any potential problems with sort of maybe denying pupils the dare I say it the kind of baptism of fire aspect of of transition not that we want it to be painful but there are things in life that are are quite challenging so yeah long-winded way of saying what are your thoughts about through schools Rhiannon
2: (laughs) yeah I'm not sure Emma yeah I was thinking about that as I was preparing my answers for for this interview and I'm I'm really not sure because yeah I agree with you I think you know, we all experience adversity and challenging times in our lives. And, you know, I think being prepared and being able to cope with challenge is really important. Um, And we shouldn't make life too easy. Uh, If it's too easy, then we find it more challenging to cope with change. So I think I'm really not sure about through schools on one level I really like the idea because I like the idea that the older pupils maybe can influence younger pupils and you've got that idea of a continuum but then I was speaking to somebody else I can't remember who but uh, about the that idea of a rite of passage that you Know by leaving your primary school, um, it's an exciting new start. Um, and that if anything went wrong in the primary school, you've got an opportunity now to, uh, to have a blank slate and start again. And there's that excitement of putting on a new uniform, getting on the best perhaps for the first time to go to a new setting that is quite exciting and fresh. So, yeah, I haven't got a straight mm. answer. Sorry. <laughs>
1: no i I was just interested, and I guess it it's very early days, isn't it because i'm I'm not sure how long the newest of these through schools has has been going, but um they are becoming uh, more of a common setting now in Wales, so I want to bring us back to the here and now we're recording it's the 25th of February and there's been a lot in the news this week in particular about how we're going to or how particularly the government in England is going to address what they're calling the kind of catch up that children are going to need and this there's a lot of backlash actually from the teaching community about this narrative um, of catch-up and also psychologists jumping on the bound bug and saying that this can put huge pressure on pupils so I just wanted to get your thoughts because you obviously wrote um, your article in the conversation um, which was kind of positioning um, your, your research about transition in the context of pupils returning to school after a long period of our first lockdown so How might our understanding of how change affects children help us to navigate the months ahead as we come out of the COVID-19 pandemic?
2: I think that we need to be really mindful of what we've all been through, uh, children as well as adults and maybe adults are better at coping at it but the social isolation of children has been quite profound really and you know I've got to children who are in the lower years of secondary school and you know they haven't seen their friends properly for a very long time I think we need to consider well-being first uh, mental health and well-being and children will catch up if they are engaged and ready to learn um, and I think we need to make sure that when our children go back to school that they have an opportunity to feel settled, to feel welcomed, to feel comfortable before we begin to expect them to learn. And so I'm I'm not promoting the idea of extra lessons or using up summertime to go back to school. I think children need time to re-socialise, to meet up with their friends um, and to get back on track. And once they've had that opportunity I think then they'll be ready to learn and you know when we're talking about catch up what are we catching up on you know I do really feel for those children undertaking exams and being in year 10 and 11 you know it's a really difficult time 12 and 13 as well it's a really difficult time for them but for the younger children I think they need to uh, reintegrate themselves back into the classroom and then they're ready to learn
0: and I suppose, Rannan. I mean, I I almost feel bad asking you this, given you've just had a book published. And if you, if I was you, I'd be still be lying down in a darkened room, probably. But have you got anything <laughs> on the go at the moment? Have you got any any research on the go, or anything oh. you're writing up, or even just a sense of of what you're interested in next?
2: Oh, you know me, Tom. Yeah, I've got <laughs> I've got a few projects on the go at the moment. So I've just had an article. Uh, accepted for publication with one of my colleagues Amanda Thomas on transition for learners in FE because that's an area we thought needed a bit more research um, and I'm also working with a colleague in Cardiff Met Emily abinett on the transition of learners with additional learning needs into FE because that's another area that we thought could do with some exploration um so yeah i've got a few projects on the go and the work with susan davis of course yeah we're still working on that
1: i suppose the intersections between those two areas are, are quite profound because i know that your book deals with transition for vulnerable learners to some of which might be quiet anxious shy for numerous reasons it's Definitely. there's a lot of a lot of crossover
2: mm. yes yeah there is um, and I think what comes through quite clearly is that and is key to it really is the relationship that practitioners have with their learners and the relationship that the school has with parents. I think those are the key features really for good transition and equally for supporting vulnerable learners is about maintaining a good partnership between um, the learner, the parents and the, and the practitioner.
1: And reassuringly, I think um, you'll know more about this than me, but the new ALN Bill in Wales and ALN Code of Conduct that we've got coming in or Code of Practice can't remember, is, is, is much more about working with the learner, acknowledging the learner's voice and making sure that they are a key part of the process in, in their provision and, and uh, you know, helping them to help themselves.
2: Yeah definitely and it's and it's more about looking at that learner um, from a more holistic perspective so not just looking at the academic profile of the learner but looking at how the learner behaves, how the learner feels supported and um, what provision can be put in around the learner to enable them to achieve the goals that they want and yeah I'm really excited about the codes of practice that's coming in from September this year but I, I'm yeah mindful that it will be quite a challenge as well to fulfil what the Code of Practice states.
1: Watch this space. Yeah,
2: Excit- it's an exciting time. <laughs> it is, yeah. there's a lot of new, isn't there?
1: But I think mm. there's a lot of new that is all kind of hopefully sort of, as you say, kind of hopefully holistically working together in tandem because mm. if we keep coming back to those four core purposes, everything mm. that we're doing in terms of ALN speaks to those two. So yes, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it's all going to start to work in tandem. But I think that that concludes our deep discussion. Now, I'm going to, with trepidation, ask, um, because it's not been that long since you were on and we were asking you these questions uh, back in January. But um, dare I ask, have you got something for our our listeners to try?
2: Yes, I have. So as, you know, we're recording um, and it's almost St David's Day. And I uh, know I'm a Welsh speaker, an avid Welsh lady. So St David's had, has a famous quote, um, which is Gwnewch Apethai pethau bychain mewn bowid. So it means do the little things in life. Um, and I thought about relating this to practice and it's about noticing the little things about your pupils so it's about taking time to build those meaningful relationships with them that I think reap rewards on a number of levels so if you know if your pupil thinks that you know them well they're more responsive to you as a teacher and they're more responsive to what you've got to teach them. So, yeah, that's my top tip, really, or or something to try, is to do the little things, to notice the little
0: things. That's an excellent one, uh, and one to, I think, take into our transition back to face-to-face teaching whenever it comes. Have you got anything interesting to share with our listeners, something that they can go and consume?
2: Well, I've got two. I'm not following the rules, sorry. I've got two. So, <laughs> um, You're allowed.
0: you just had a book yeah. published.
2: One uh, for pure relaxation is absolutely brilliant is um, if you've got Netflix it's The Queen's Gambit and it's also a book and I'm currently reading the book and thoroughly enjoying it so I've, I've watched the series and I'm now reading the book and usually I should probably have read the book before the series but actually I'm not disappointed at all so... Yeah, I recommend The Queen's Gambit. And secondly is another book that I've been reading because I've been teaching a module on um, autism spectrum disorder. And this book is a tome of a book. It's a really good doorstep, but it's an excellent read. And it's called Neurotribes by Steve Silberman. And it's not a heavy book about autism. It's absolutely fascinating about how we understand um, autism, but also the people who have autism and how it affects their lives yeah fascinating book
1: two cracking recommendations there Rhiannon you never disappoint and I've got to agree with you on the on the Queen's Gambit front uh I uh I'm a a, a big fan girl of 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 that really enjoy it It looked beautiful as well the whole styling of it I found just stunning
2: yeah I was going to say that the uh the, the yeah the the clothes and the background is yeah just superb yeah Excellent.
1: Absolutely. All right, but I'm not going to indulge too much in this conversation because you know you and I will end up going off on a tangent. So we I'm going to keep myself yeah, firmly uh, <laughs> on, on track. So you know what's coming now, the last one. Have you been trying anything new in terms of well-being or have you got uh, an old faithful to share in terms of well-being?
2: Well, on the last podcast, I'd started running because I was a bit worried I wasn't moving at all. So, yeah, that I've now progressed. So, I think when I first spoke to you, I was stopping and starting a lot. So, I'm progressing now. I can run 5K without stopping. So, my well-being tip is to keep going. doesn't matter if you stop, but keep going.
1: hog, <laughs> Excellent, Triana.
2: That's... <laughs> that is fantastic and how long did it take you to get
1: to to 5k did you do a a couch to 5k
2: or no I did Rhiannon's version so I started running around the block (laughs) um, and up the hill and then when I could go up the hill without stopping I started going a little bit further. So I've just done it bit by bit, really. I have joined Strava, not properly, because I can't connect my Fitbit to Strava. But um, yeah, and that's been a, a really good motivation. I've been doing, I can't remember what it's called, Run Ed. So I did Run Ed Jan and Run Ed Feb. So it's not competitive, but it does give you a little bit of motivation to keep running. So I found that quite helpful.
1: Oh, wonderful. And I've got to say, um, our podcast episodes are perfect length for a run.
2: I can't run with anything. I can't run with um, headphones or anything. I just have to go and run. So.
1: Oh, yeah. wow. That's good. That's hardcore, Rhiannon, to just oh, is free, it? Oh, free oh, thinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I'd find I find it quite difficult to run without music in my ears or, or something to, to to divert my thoughts from the pain or the, the fact that I'm <laughs> breathing very heavily. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I, I think I'm a reluctant runner because I don't enjoy it, but the thrill when I come back is great. So, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> the runner's yeah. high is real.
0: I don't like running, I'm just going to say, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to well, I, can't gonna say I like stick it. to my guns on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Rhiannon. It's very impressive that you've managed to come back so soon and with another set of short slots for us. But uh, more importantly, that deep discussion, I think, is really timely as we we do one of the most uncharted transitions of them all, which is to try and get everybody back into school and back into learning uh, the old way, but hopefully with with some new bits as well. So some really important food for thought there, for Everybody, So, thank you for coming back and doing that. Um, anybody who wants to read your book, can you remind us uh, what it is and who it's published by?
2: Yes, it's called All Change, um, Best Practice for Educational Transitions. Um, it's by myself, Catherine Jones, Amanda Thomas and Philippa Watkins and it's published by Critical Publishing.
1: Wonderful. Well, I will certainly be purchasing my copy and I uh, would imagine it's going to be something that our book club will want to read at some point. We're on a book club together. So uh, maybe we'll have that as oh, that uh, one of our be, books uh... down the line. <laughs> that'd, be,
2: that'd be a little bit creepy for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd
0: have to recuse yourself from that book club, Rhiannon. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I
2: might, might be washing my hair for that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well listen Dr Rhiannon Packer it's been a pleasure as always stay safe and well and I'm sure we'll have you back in the future to talk about one of those uh, many uh, additional um, research projects that you're working on some some point down the line yeah
2: thank you for making the interview a very pleasant one I've really enjoyed it
1: oh we've enjoyed it too and for those listeners out there hopefully you've enjoyed it and we'll be back in your ears uh, usual in two weeks time
0: You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was our colleague from Cardiff Met, Dr. Rhiannon Packer, and her book, All Change, Best Practice for Educational Transitions, is published by Critical Publishing. Thanks to Rhiannon for taking part. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching.